Hi everyone, this is Corina and Angel. Welcome to The Human Show, proudly presented and supported by worldpodcast.com. Here we explore the relationships between people, technology and business. Join us on this journey where we interview anthropologists, other researchers and industry people from all over the world, from India to Kenya, US, Europe, to right back here in New Zealand. Hi friends, in today's episode we are talking to Dr. Duncan Hay, a research associate at the Bartlett Center for Advanced Spatial Analysis, UCL London. We talked to Duncan about his work with a survey of London, the Whitechapel Initiative, a technological experiment in the creation and dissemination of urban history. We talk about how digital technology can be used to increase access to historical data and the tensions and barriers between official and unofficial history. We cover inclusivity, diversity, citizenship and legitimacy of what constitutes data and what is the role of technology. We hope you enjoy it. Hi, Duncan. Hello. Nice to have you with us. And um, I know it's been a struggle aligning the schedules. Um, London and Auckland are not like the best of friends when it comes to time zones. <laughs> not really, no. <laughs> <laughs> so we are very, uh, we are very lucky and fortunate that, that uh, we could find a slot with you because you are um, yeah, extremely involved in a lot of amazing projects that I, I just can't wait to ask you more about. But before we dive into that, um, I just want you to kind of tell me and a bit of our um, listeners, what's your path with um, technology and the space that you are in right now? Okay, so I, I think I've probably had a bit of an unconventional, uh, un, yeah, an unconventional path into the academy. Um, so my, my uh, disciplinary background, uh, my PhD is actually in English literature. Um, and I did uh, my PhD about, um, he's a British writer called Ian Sinclair, um, who's written a lot about um, place and history. Uh, and I guess that sort of the cultural uses of, of, of the past in the present. Um, and I was looking at his work in relationship to um, a German theorist called uh, Walter Benjamin, who you might be familiar with, who was a... Uh, uh, Frankfurt School Marxist um, and was very much interested in in the political the political use of the um, past inside the present mm. and then uh, so I did my PhD um, and I didn't get funding for my PhD uh, so I was working um, at the same time um, part-time as a web developer um, and through that uh, through that work I did um, a couple of projects which were based on um, sort of community-led web mapping, mm. I guess. Mm. Um, and then I was on the job market for a bit. Um, I don't know if it's the same in Auckland, but the academic job market in Britain, especially if you're a huma humanities scholar, is pretty tricky. Um, and I wasn't getting very far. And then this job came up um, at my current department, which is the Centre for Advanced Spatial Analysis at the Bartlett, um, which is part of University College London. Um, and that was to work on basically a, 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 to build a website. And I guess we would, how would we say this? Um, it's designed to sort of co-create um, or co-write uh, the history of an area of East London, um, which is uh, Whitechapel. Mm -hmm. um, and this was, this was a, I guess, sort of like a unicorn project for mm -hmm. me because um, Ian Sinclair wrote a lot about Whitechapel, still writes about Whitechapel. Um, 
and here was an opportunity to make a website which was deliberately like like it was about Whitechapel and the history of Whitechapel, but designed to help, I guess, um, to both publish like publish academic research, but get ordinary ordinary members of the public from East London and beyond to tell their stories about about the, their their experience of Whitechapel mm-hmm. um, on that website. So yeah, I, I'm still working on that project. Yeah. Just. A, uh, sorry, you were yeah. going to say, go ahead. Uh, what do you think was the intention behind the project? Um, so I think, so the the, um, the people who led on the project, so CASA was um, was a collaborator rather than the lead on the project, um, uh, are a group of um, uh, architectural historians called the Survey of London, mm-hmm. who are quite a strange organisation. I'd, I'd say they're very British, um, they've been around since the 1890s, uh, and they've been they were set up by a uh, um, he was a, an architect and social reformer called Charles Robert Ashby, um, and he was a member of the arts and crafts movement. Which, um, if you know the work of William Morris or John Ruskin, um, you'd probably be like you'd be familiar with the style if you if you don't necessarily know the names um, but they were very concerned uh, with the legacy of the built environment um and that the built environment should be beautiful um or or and to help people see what was valuable in in old buildings um so they've existed since the 1890s and their remit has been to take a single parish of london and produce a comprehensive document of its architectural history. Mm. So I, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna put it in a few words, they want to find out what got built and why it got built mm. um, and what's been lost as well. So where what used to be there, um, and they've been producing these huge monographs. They're they're sort of they're sort of. I don't know. They're they're they're, they're massive, big, big books, um, which are beautifully illustrated um, and very comprehensive documents about a particular area. And I'd say since eighteen ninety something, whenever they started, um, they've probably done about maybe forty percent of London. Oh wow! <laughs> uh, so it's it's a really extraordinary project. It's like a very long term project, and if they were ever to finish. Um, like they should probably start again uh, because so much would have changed. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they've they they started off as an independent organisation, and then they've been variously part of uh, the Greater London Council, and then they've been most recently were part of um, Historic England, which is um, a body which is responsible for, I guess, the custodianship of. Britain's old buildings mm. or valuable buildings. However, because of funding cuts um, which came through from central government, it looked their existence was sort of in question um, at Historic England. And most recently, I think it's maybe three years ago, possibly four years ago, um, they mo- they were they became part of University College London and part of the Bartlett, which is UCL's um, Faculty for the Built Environment. So I think their motivation was really to look at digital technology um, and realise that there's an opportunity there to get their work 
better known. Mm. Um, so, so I mean, the books are massive. They cost 80 quid. Um, they're not something that you would buy. Um, they, they tend to exist in libraries and university libraries. So making an interactive map was a really, it just seemed like a really logical step for them, that they'd be able to get, like, explore a new way of publishing their material, reach new audiences for that material. But what they also wanted to do was um, uh, Peter Guillory, who's the lead on the project, he talks about uh, breaking down the barriers between um, official and unofficial history. Mm. So they didn't just want to publish their research. They wanted to think about how they were conducting that research, who that research was for, and how they could maybe involve um, a broader community in that research. So, uh, yeah, and I should probably talk a little bit about Whitechapel because Whitechapel is quite an interesting place to be doing that. Yeah. Um, because it's, um, so East London uh, is changing very rapidly. It's, um, in recent years, it's become very, uh, very gentrified. I think since the 19, probably the 1990s onwards, there's been a, there's been a steady influx of richer residents into what historically has been a very poor part of London. Um, and at the moment, um, and, it's, and it's also been like Whitechapel specifically has been um, a place where a lot of immigrant communities have tended to, to make their homes. So back, if you go back to the 18th century, that would have been um, a very large German community, mm-hmm. um, which was, uh, yeah, there's German, German immigrants in the 18th century, uh, French immigrants in the 18th and 19th centuries. I'm probably getting this wrong because I'm not a historian, but... Um, I'm remembering as best <laughs> I can. Um, and then uh, there's a very large Jewish community up until the 1950s or 60s. And then most recently, it's been um, the uh, Bangladeshi community uh, have been the pro- uh, one of the most predominant non-white ethnic groups in Whitechapel. But Whitechapel is right next to the city of London. And it's like, like those poorer... Well, they're not all, all poor, but immigrant like first generation first generation immigrant communities tend to be quite poor. Uh, Whitechapel is a poor district. Those communities are being pushed further and further out. Um, so it felt, I think, it for the survey, it felt very important mm-hmm. that unless they were to act now, we weren't going to get those stories of those those immigrant groups and then they would be lost yeah. um, so it felt like there was a real opportunity to make the most of, of the opportunities that the technology offered mm. um, and to, to do this work now yeah so that's that and how have you seen people engage with that form of um, storytelling about their city um, so we've done like we've done a lot of um on the ground work. So we have uh, the, the, the historians from the survey, there's there's um, several people involved in the project who are trained oral historians. So we've done a lot of events where we've gone out to communities and then really used the website as a, um, I think almost as a talking point. Mm. So we, we have this technology, but it's really an excuse to, to have a conversation. Um, and so we've done a lot of work like that where we've, We've deliberately gone out and met people in person, so it hasn't been technology-led. But equally, we've had a lot of we've had a lot of interest from people who've come across our website entirely entirely online. Um, 
so for example there's quite there's a quite nice um a collection of posts by a guy called um eric shorter and uh who's uh who grew up in the uh, in Whitechapel in the 1940s, I think, and he's really documented his childhood, uh, and he discovered the website quite by chance. Like he came to us cold, um, so we've got we've got different sorts of engagement, I guess. So we've had people who will document the stories of mm. their time in Whitechapel. Equally, we've got quite a sizable body of um i guess amateur historians so they might be people who are interested in their own family histories for example or they might be um like quite a lot of local history like the the groundwork of finding out about places and documenting the history of places happens outside academic circles um so people who who aren't professional historians but really, uh, but produce documents with, from which official history yeah. gets gets constructed. And um, so we've had some really interesting work by um, uh, people do- documenting particular aspects of of the history of Whitechapel um, in a way which really is academic writing, even though they themselves aren't academics. And are you focused mostly about space and um, like buildings? Yes. So um, if you go to the website, which um, can I can I plug the website? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> go ahead. Um, it's surveyoflondon.org. Mm-hmm. Um, if you were to go there, um, uh, there's an interactive map um, and every every building in Whitechapel uh, is represented by an interactive polygon. So you can click on a building and uh, read its history that way. Um, so it's quite like I, I guess the map forms... Um, like our, our it's it's the interface to the uh, to the content of the website so it's very spatially driven yeah and if you go for example to the building is there a possibility there to to learn more information through technology as well that's right mm-hmm. uh, oh I, no if you well that's it that's an interesting question actually because i think that's the ne- that would be the next step i guess like do you use something like um a bluetooth beacon which i'll probably talk about in a minute because that's related to another project like is there some way that you could connect the the physical and the digital um because if you i mean the the website works on your phone if you were if you were to be navigating Whitechapel, you could you could click on a building there and find it that way. Mm. But there are ways that you could use technology to to put that information in situ. And I think they, they, I think there's a lot of questions about that actually about where, what the value of that might be, which is maybe an interesting discussion. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Who who yeah. do you who do you think is the primary target of this interactive map? I think ultimately, like the survey has an audience um, which tends to be a professional audience or an academic mm-hmm. audience so um, professional historians um, or amateur historians are very much the core of what they do, of, of their readership um, but also architects uh, town planners uh, members of the like members of local councils like it's very much a reference work that if you need to know about there's this building on this street like what is it when was it when was it built why was it built what what things do we need to be considering if we were to build a new building here or okay. or, or who used to live there or those sorts of academic questions though that's the reason why you would go to a survey of london volume but because we've now got this oral history component it does mean that there's an additional audience and i think really like 
making something that that has a appeals to both audiences has actually been a really big challenge because official and unofficial history they don't necessarily sit that comfortably together because mm-hmm. you've got one sort of discourse which is about is reference work has got footnotes yeah. and another sort of discourse which I mean like that Eric's got some amazing stories about when uh, like after the war there were there was a guy who used to shoot pigeons in Whitechapel and sell the sell like sell the birds uh, mm-hmm. to eat to Sainsbury's like, and that's just like that like we've got no way of verifying that mm. um it sounds it sounds entirely plausible and you when you read Eric's account of it you like yeah that 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 happened and it really adds to your idea of what Whitechapel must have been like at that point yeah uh, but it doesn't like it's not the same sort of writing as an authoritative history of a building so I think there's there's definitely a tension in project between existing professional audience or largely professional audiences and the new audiences that we need to reach, so that so that 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 history gets that social history gets documented. Did that answer your question? That's yeah. A bit no. <laughs> yeah. And I and I think it's it's such a it's such an interesting point that you're you're raising. You know, like this distance between um, official and unofficial um, history. Uh, and everything that it means, right? Like, like you were saying at the beginning, um, who decides which sources are valid or not? How do you validate their validity? To whom it's meant to speak and of what? <laughs> no? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it reminds me of, um, because I've been living here in Auckland now for two years. So I've become kind of quite involved in the Maori and the Pacific communities. And they have, um, a different relationship to buildings. But because of two things. One, they have a different relationship to the concept of time and history. Uh-huh. Because they say that the, the past is contained in the present and the future is contained in the present at all times. Yeah, so, which is, is true. <laughs> <laughs> but but like they, it, it's interesting because, because the way they talk is like when they talk about their ancestors, they talk about them as if they're still present. Um, and they bring stories from the past as if they're present and because for them are present, they're informing the present. So it, it's interesting to see how this conceptual relationship with time kind of shapes the way they connect to history because for them history is not something that you stop and look for somewhere. It's something that is constantly livable inside you. Even when they meet people from outside, they, they, to know who you are, they have to know your genealogy. Yeah. Do you know where you're from? Who's your community? Which are your ancestors? You know, that's how they know that you are a real person. Um, so the second difference that they have, which also impacts the relationship to the buildings, are that communities are really, really tight. Like you really know who was the grand, 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 grandfather of your neighbor. So that brings a kind of validity to these type of oral storytellings that are social. So they don't really question it because actually they can even remember through their own family, the person that that was selling those pigeons, you know? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's a real person. It's not just a name on a page or in somebody's history because um, the community is so strongly interlinked. So when it comes back to buildings, because they had this challenge too, especially because of the tourism industry here in New Zealand, uh, what type of stories are the ones that you want to tell in relationship to buildings and space? Um, and they have a hard time deciding on one because the whole community needs to come together and make a reflection of why a certain story needs to be told more than others. Um, mm-hmm. 
So it's kind of like a very long, slow bureaucratic process because you need to get a lot of people that they see on the same level of power. So kind of you don't have people that get the label of historian that gives you the authority to make some choices. Everybody has a, um, the same authority as long as your ancestors were there when this building was being built. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of yeah. like very consensus, like very different from um, from the story that you're telling me. But um, so, how do you, how have you seen then in this project um, so far this formal and informal sitting together? Do you have spaces where they see that they kind of they find a common ground? It's a good question, actually. I mean, like, do do you mean like a a, a virtual space or a physical space? Virtual or physical? I think in a in a physical space, I think it 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 really works because um like, like you i mean we've we've run we've run events um at, at east london mosque i say we i haven't been involved in most of these um uh, which is a very big um very yeah like it's it's one of the biggest mosques in the uk it's a very important building um and we've done stuff at the um tower, tower hamlets which is the council their their, their history lab, library and archives and you get various different people coming to those events and i think really when you get an oral historian such as shahid salim who's who's led on this aspect um and is a very very good interviewer and local people in a room discussing the place that they're in mm. um you get a very natural dialogue i think um between academics and and local people of, of all sorts of backgrounds um not that academics can't be local people, but you know what I mean. Um, yeah, yeah uh, um, you get you get a you, you, you get a very like people are interested in that place. You all have a, a shared interest in talking about that place. Um, but I think that's um, like that's a gesture of, of us going like uh, like us as academics going out into the community into their space, which I think is very important. Whilst I think what's quite like what's different with the website is ultimately we're inviting people into our space, which necessarily has academic accoutrements with it. Mm. Like so, like footnotes, yeah. and the website looks quite sober um, and reflects what the books look like. So there's, like, I think there, and I guess that sort of embodies this tension of of how you resolve that. Yeah, how do you, how do you resolve those two discourses, and to what extent we've been successful, and whether we could be successful, and 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 keep speaking to all the people that we need to speak to? Yeah. Um, so I think it's it. I would say I think like uh, it's unresolved. Mm. I would say. Yeah. <laughs> you were mentioning about the immigrant history of this part of time that is focused on this uh, on this survey, and and I was wondering when you look into a building like especially when uh, um, a space that is populated by immigrants and people that come and go there's a lot of interlocking different cultural histories yeah. that take place in that space how is that is that captured in your project and how do you do that very much so i mean I, and i think i mean what what because it's been i mean there's a term which is an absorption neighborhood like because it's because whitechapel has been this place where immigrants have 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 traditionally ended up in london and i think it's probably it's probably actually related to the the geography of the city in that it's where the docks were mm. um so it was probably like it was an area in which in which 
non-British people, like there would have been a real mixture of uh, mixture of cultures, and still is a real mixture of cultures. But going back a very very long time, um, so you'll get examples in in Whitechapel where you'll have, so for example, uh, Huguenot Huguenot weavers who who would have come over from France in the 18th century, so French Protestants, uh, they built several churches um, in East London. And you'll you'll find that these buildings will have transitioned between different faith groups. So uh, you'll have a church which was uh, a building which was originally built as a Protestant church, which then became a synagogue, which then became a mosque mm-hmm. or is currently a mosque. So that, that there's this real um, there's a very tangible sense in the way that 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 buildings get repurposed yeah. and have this history that's connected to particular faith groups or particular cultural groupings. And I think, I mean, I think we were very, we were, like, it's quite, like, that. Like for, so for example, like, the, the, the main, like, the main, I, I'm not entirely sure what the statistics are, but, so, but the, there's a very high concentration of um, Muslim is it is um, Muslim people in Whitechapel, but until recently, like Whitechapel, if you go back fifty or sixty years, um, it was very much known as a Jewish neighbourhood. And there's obviously a global historic, like uh, there's a global political context in which yeah. that cultural tension exists. Mm-hmm. Like there is a cultural tension there, and this sense that this place that was a Jewish community, like to the extent that, I mean, they're, they're, like there's been arguments that it was really a ghetto without, without being formalized as such. To now being a Muslim, a predominantly Muslim area, there's definitely a political tension there. And we were very concerned um, right from the start that we, that that might flare up. Like we, we might get submissions which were inflammatory or yeah. which were, were claiming something that wasn't really the case. And that, that did actually come up in one of our workshops. We did have um, a gentleman who, like, and, and I mean, it was completely, it was spurious really, but there's a very old former synagogue, which is now part of um, East London Mosque, like it's their archives. Um, and a gentleman like, accused the archivist of, of being insufficiently respectful to mm. the synagogue. Now, um, I'm not Jewish, um, so I, don't, I, I might be speaking incorrectly, but my understanding is that, that from a Jewish perspective, like once the synagogue is the congregation, and when the synagogue is no longer being used as a place of worship, it's just a building. And, and indeed, like the, like the um, East London Mosque, they've been incredibly sensitive about this building and its history. So... We were very worried that we were mm. going to get disagreements, um, but it hasn't. It hasn't really come up. I think people have been very respectful, and I think also that because of the nature of of like, it's quite a serious project. I think um, so. I think I think people offer considered pieces and considered reflections, and I think from our perspective, that's that's much better like mm. we'd much have fewer high quality contributions yeah. than lots of um than lots of poor quality contributions and of course the other thing we were really worried about and this isn't really related to your question is um uh, if you if you know the history of Whitechapel um uh, probably the thing that like, 
yeah, it's Jack the Ripper. Like, that's where those murders happened mm-hmm. um, in the 1880s. Uh, and that actually, I mean, you don't have to go back very long in, I mean, in history. I mean, if you go back to the 1960s, like, that was living memory. So it's still, um, but it, it really colours people's idea of what Whitechapel is like. And there's a whole load of cliches about, um, like, like, I don't know, darkened alleys and people in big cloaks and uh, and <laughs> top hats murdering women. Um, <laughs> there's a there's sort of a real sort of cultural imaginary about this gothic East London, and then equally the uh, like the history of of, of of East London gangs. So the Cray twins, um, uh, who were a pair of gangsters, who were um, very active again, I think in the fifties and sixties. They like that was their manner, um, and so there's this really sort of romanticised idea of, of of what Whitechapel is, and we were very like we were quite concerned that those cliches would come to dominate, um, yeah. and that hasn't been the case at all. Mm. How 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 diverse do you think the audience that contributed to this um, is? Not as diverse as we'd like it to be. I think that that's probably the case. Um, I think I think, and it makes me think. Well, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, Shahed has done a like. We've done a lot of work to try and make this work, um, and to make it a cross-cultural communication, or do, and to mm. like to go to people and to to be with people, but I, um, in their own spaces to talk about their histories. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not sure that in terms of just traffic to the website so people that we haven't contacted contacted directly i'm not really sure what their ethnic makeup would be um but my sense of it and i might be say it speaking incorrectly is that it's not as divide uh, not as diverse as we might hope yeah i i was wonder just because you were mentioning at the beginning that this is a very serious project that kind of you get that feeling when you are coming in and starting contributing right so I was thinking, like, what would give me the sense of entitlement to tell my story? Like, oh, I'm so bad at asking this. Like, what constitutes no, no, um, a legitimate citizenship um, to kind of get people to come forward? I think that's the really big question. And I think it's something, I think we need to think about that as we go forward. Like, so we, we want to extend this work. We want to carry on working in this way. Um, and I think, I think there's a real question of, of like, do we need more than one map? Like, is this, is it, is it, like, is there, like, is there, say, a Siletti White Chapel that 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 needs its own space, or do we need to be working with local history groups to um, uh, to to give them the power to run this stuff themselves? Because uh, and and what we might lose in terms of what we might lose in terms of I guess the imprimatur of this is serious academic research we gain in terms mm. of a multiplicity of voices um, so that I mean I, I'm not really speaking for the project when I say that I'm talking for my my own sense of it would be do like do we want rather than rather than putting all this all of these different sorts of talking about the past in one in one historical frame, like, or in one in one 
publishing framework of, of one website, do we need to be thinking about how we can empower people to run their own projects in their own way with, and, and find their own voice through it? Do you see mm. what I mean? Yeah, I think... I think there's something very powerful where you, where you anchor, when you anchor all this messiness to a physical object, you know, because yeah. uh, in itself a building contains everything, right? It contains yeah. the, the past of all these social groups that, that see it in different ways. It contains the present and, and, and the potential future. So, um, there's something I think very powerful when you have one frame anchored in those objects, but you find a way to, through technology to get it to 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 show all of these different realities yeah yeah i think there's a, there's definitely a possibility there like i know and there's i don't know there's some quite there's quite a nice set of metaphors as well because there's something something very nice about the intangibility of 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 technology mm. which speaks i think quite closely to the the idea of of how the past is in the present because yeah. it's materially yes. present yes and exactly absent same time yeah yeah so it's 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 actually that that's so great because um technology and especially the internet gives you this feeling that you know history can turn present like tangibly you watch it and it's it's there it's yeah. present it's not it's past <laughs> yeah um so i think that's what is what made me think about as well the challenges around this project we've we've talked here a lot especially in the space of artificial intelligence and ethics about the topic of, you know, there's a lot of people out there that look at technology as this great equalizer of everything, mm. you know, class, diversity, um, you know, you build something that, that, that goes across bias, that grows uh, um, ac across systemic inequality so easily. So I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah. And, and there's, there's, there's starting to emerge proof that actually the, the things that we build are very similar to us. So, um, they, what they can do is they can cast a very sharp light into existing systems of inequality or existing system of, of, of that have become so normalized that we can't really see them properly. Um, so um, I think there's there's a really interesting challenge. I done my my master my master thesis was on um, was in a, on a neighborhood in Amsterdam called Newmarkt, who's a neighborhood uh -huh. that has a, a strong history of activism and. Um, that now is struggling with gentrification and also uh, oh. tourism a lot. So my topic was identity and um, who does the city belong to uh, yeah. at, at the yeah. end? And, and what's, that, um, what's the citizenship rights that you have to be called um, a, a resident of that neighborhood? What gives you that? Um, so um, I think it's, it's very interesting when you kind of uh, start asking those questions and looking at the community that is there and, and kind of, amplify that voice right yeah and that i mean it's quite it's quite interesting because um this is a bit tangential but i hope it will come back to what we're talking about um uh, the 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 editors the survey of london editors they actually do loads and loads of work on facebook um mm -hmm. getting people getting people to be because the like, there's quite a large community of people like current Whitechapel residents and former Whitechapel residents who talk about the history of Whitechapel on Facebook. Like they share photographs of themselves or as children or of, of, of the places that were important to them. And there's like there's a tremendous amount of interest in that recent history. Like a pho photographs from the eighties and nineties, mm -hmm. which 
which people will then sort of take and discuss and go, oh, yeah, I remember this and I remember that, or I used to go there. Um, and quite a lot of the work that the editors have done is sort of encouraging people to, to, to go, you know, th th this has value beyond this discussion. Um, we come and put it on our website and then it will be, like, we'll have something of record. Um, so it's quite interesting to think about like what, what, what that relationship is, yeah. like what's the relationship between the sort of informal discussions on Facebook and then what does it mean to share that in a space like the Survey of London Whitechapel website? And yeah. is that, like, is that something of value to people? Mm. Like, um, do people, like, cause it's not like it, well, I mean, we are going to publish a book, um, but it's not like put it saying, do you want to be in my book? <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you see what I mean? It's like, where, where's the, like, where's the authority? Is there value to that perceiving that authority? Um, mm -hmm. And what does it mean to say you are now part of this official record? It's 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 very interesting. Like, when are you allowed to say you're a Londoner? Yeah, yeah. I I think I think there's there's something to be said about when you look into the concept of identity and personal yeah. identity, right? And how space and place gets tied into that. Like mm. when, um, and I think places like synagogues or, or places of faith and also places of, um, of intense association to identity, like, like maybe mm. uh, formation places like school or maybe places where you go with your family regularly, like places that have a, a direct tie into your identity formation or performance space, mm. they give you, I think, automatically that legitimacy and that drive to kind of, well, this is mine, you know? It, because it's part yeah, of my yeah. story, it's part of my identity. Um, if it's something that you just transition to use, or I think th if that tie to your identity is it's kind of weak, then um, only somebody from outside can give you that legitimacy through the job that you carry or through the acts that you perform. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of like my 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 take on it. But it it, it also comes down to also power and legitimacy right and and what exactly and are you are people going to do with that data what does it mean for you what does it mean for your personal history for your children for your grandchildren later on right yeah, um, exactly. how, how do you guys deal with that do you um do you share how do you deal with this type of questions around data well the interesting you should say that because um, we're just having um so do, as, as have you Head uh, of the GDPR, you put, yeah, uh, yes. we've had, um, like I've had quite a stressful day today because it comes in tomorrow and we realise that there's a bit of the website which isn't GDPR compliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, we're, everything on the website is published on a, under a Creative Commons licence. Um, so what we want is to, we want to make an archive like a, a resource which is going to be useful in perpetuity, um, and like the best way actually of doing that is 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 actually a book. It still is a book, mm. um, not not in terms of access, um, because obviously like like books have a limited circulation possibility. Where where a website where a website is 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 vastly vastly more accessible um, mm -hmm. than a book ever will be. But um, if I, I mean, I don't know if you if you ever, uh, yeah, I mean, 
like preserving preserving digital data is an absolute nightmare um, because we're we're talking about with with the system that we've built. We've, yeah, uh, you're looking at digital components which like it just moves so quickly technologies age very very quickly formats change over time uh, different media have different um uh, archival properties yeah. um, so uh, so we're going to try and preserve this website in, in 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 as many ways as we can i mean uh, like eventually it will close um in 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 about a year's time it will close to submissions um, and it will just be a read only thing but slowly um it will be hosted by the university um theoretically in perpetuity yeah um but realistically there'll come a time probably in about eight or ten years time where it just doesn't work anymore Hmm. um and the question is is how do we how do we best preserve that um and what would what would a future scholar need to be able to get this thing up and running again or to to see what see what it see what it actually contains um so after um extracting all the personally identifiable information from our database we will we will dump that database in different for in different formats um have those publicly available um as I say, every every almost everything on the site is published under a Creative Commons license, so you can you can repurpose the material as long as you cite us, as long as you um, and, and release it under the same conditions. So it's a share like license. Yeah, yeah. And so we're very much trying to like make something that that has that is going to be around for a long time and it's going to outlast the particular platform that, that it's on now. Mm. And there's, there's quite a good um, aphorism about um, uh, the differences between databases and code uh, and your database, your, your data model, like your, the, the stuff that you save, it matures like wine, like it gets better over time. Uh, but your code, like the stuff that, the stuff that that makes stuff happen it yeah. matures like fish yeah. oh, <laughs> i like that that's a that's I a very that's a very good metaphor um <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you you were mentioning earlier about this tension between um oral because formal and informal history um and i wanted to ask you what do you think about wikipedia i think wikipedia um i think it's fantastic um i Obviously, I don't like like you don't cite it. Like that's not what it's about. But um, if you need to get a quick overview of a topic, that's certainly the first place where I go. Um, it, like, and I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't stop there. Um, but no, it's it's just it's an amazing resource. And I also think that I mean, we like our, our website. It's not edit- editable. Like Wikipedia, like it, it it accretes, but you can't get you can't log in and change someone else's post. Mm. It's not about coming together to a, a collaborative account of a place, because um, I don't think we we don't really have the um, I don't think there would be a big enough user base to make that really work. Um, and also, we want to preserve a multiplicity of voices. Like it's about bringing different voices into mm. into one space. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I do think Wikipedia does have something of 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 this collaborative 
coming to an account of a yeah. place. Um, but yeah, it's different. It's a different model, I think, from what we're pursuing. I think we're what. I, yeah. I, I think for me both it's if I would have to have a question would be a question of power you know yeah, um, yeah because exactly. when you say how do you decide what's real how do you decide the story of a, sp a, a space and if you put more weight on if you say okay we're gonna celebrate diversity um, and then everybody has the same power in that diversity there are no no stories more valid than others um, then that would be kind of like ideologically for me similar to um, Wikipedia, which says, okay, everybody yeah. has the same validity. We just mix them because we need to come to a common account. Uh, yeah. But then if we say we have a space where there is a, a kind of a power dynamic, there is a, a form of regulating certain stories over others, then that's kind of like different. Yeah, so we, we've talked about this a lot um, and we do, like, we edit submissions uh, and we pre-moderate pre submissions. So so people make a submission, it gets checked mm. over by an editor and then it gets published. Um, but we are happy, like, we've talked about this and we are happy for um, inaccuracies to stand um, because that's what, I, I mean, I, I think about this as um, with my literature hat on, I think it's about like, it, it helps people be better readers. Mm. Like, like, if you if you have two conflicting accounts of the history of a particular place, um, then as like as a critical human being, you think about like you judge yeah. like whether uh, which account is the case. And if you've got a conflicting account of that, then we would also be interested in having that. So I think. Like it's it's difficult yeah. because we also have in that same space the Survey of London's material, which is you know it's it's as official official history as you can get. It's mm. like mm -hmm. spend a month in the archive and really find out about this stuff. Research. Um, so we are gatekeepers, and there is a power dynamic. But at the same time, it, it's how you. It's how you manage that, really, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Like, it's just a thing, I think. I, I think there are other spaces like Wikipedia where that power dynamic isn't. Um, and what you get is a different sort of an account. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I don't think we can avoid it, I think is my, my feeling. Like, as, long, as, long as, it, uh, as long as stuff is going out under this Survey of London banner, then we need to make, like, all the editorial team need to make editorial decisions about what gets published there. Yeah, because uh, as you said, you're inviting them into your house and, and that yeah. that house comes with rules and traditions and a certain way of doing things. <laughs> yeah, and that's okay. Yeah. Um, but it does, like, there's also a cost to that, yeah. which is, yeah. which is, maybe it's a, a house that not everyone wants to come into. <laughs> <laughs> If you are interested in the topic of Internet of Things, um, data, governance and trust, please check out part two of this conversation, which we will be releasing as a separate podcast episode. Duncan will be speaking to a project that, sh that he is currently working on, on security and trust around IoT in public urban spaces. Thank you for listening, everyone. Follow us on our social media channels and look at the show notes for links to our speaker's work. Join us next time for more interesting conversations.